Welcome to Living Goddess with Shamali God Arda. Listen in for goddess mythology, wisdom teachings, and intimate sharings from her daily practice and contemplations. Shamali illuminates the Shakti keys stitched into the fabric of our daily lives and inspires us to reclaim a pulsating intimacy with Source and revive our spiritual lineage rooted in the living goddess. Today we have a windy day here in Greece and we have an integration day between week two and week three which is the last week in our summer ashram here where women come from all over the world to explore and retrieve their intimacy with goddess. And today I call upon Hestia, one of the Greek goddesses that are not so well known. She's um, oftentimes referred to as the goddess of the home or the hearth. And um, this is, of course, a easy way for us to relate to goddess when we speak about her as the goddess of something. Uh, but it also has a, a little bit of a danger to make her more limited because we try to fit her in into our human uh, context, which is, of course, by nature, limited. Uh, but as we have explored before, as I've been speaking about before, I do view goddess as expressing its herself through the human and it is through the human uh, that we can enter an intimacy with her it is through becoming more human more intimate with ourselves more embracing of all parts of ourselves that we can enter into the universal and cosmic aspects of her Hestia is known to be the first god in the god goddess group called Olympian gods. In the Greek mythology, the gods are somehow grouped, and the older gods, the titans, they are representing the building blocks of the universe. They are more the elemental, really primordial forces of the universe. And her mother, Rhea, was a titan goddess. <laughs> Rhea was the daughter of uh, Gaia and Uranus, who also were part of this primordial god-goddess group. And we remember from a previous episode, the drama about Gaia and Uranus, and how Uranus felt ashamed by some of his offsprings, some of her ba his babies that didn't fit into the kind of perfect image that he had of uh, his love affair with Gaia and their family unit and the world itself. And we explored how this kind of mentality, this mindset, is something that we have inherited in our unwillingness to embrace the totality of who we are and instead pushing parts of ourselves down into the shadow, into the basement, into the underworld, where they don't go away where they then begin to live out unconsciously. And uh, this is how we find ourselves again and again in patterns that we don't understand. Why am I doing this again? You know, these are our shadow parts playing themselves out. 
And we, of course, can see this also in the global context uh, as a result of our modern lifestyle. We also remember that Gaia, she called upon one of her sons to stop Uranus doing this. And the son she called upon was Kronos. And Kronos means time. And he was the one who cut off the genital of Uranus and so thus split heaven and earth. Now, when we continue this story, we learn that Kronos, he eventually now becomes the ruler of the universe together with his wife, Rhea. And then he begins to have babies. And there is a prophecy that says that he will have a son that will be his downfall, who will uh, throw him off the throne as the ruler of the universe. So now Kronos' time begins to do the same as his father, which is also something perhaps we can recognize in the human condition. <laughs> All that we haven't really met and resolved in ourselves, even what we you know, really don't like and fight against in our parents, we may begin to repeat <laughs> against our own conscious will. And he begins to uh, eat his babies. So he's hiding the babies within himself. And one of these babies is uh, Hestia. Rhea is now the one in heartbroken and missing her babies, just like uh, Gaia was. And um, what she eventually does to stop this is that she hides a rock in the baby blanket and Kronos thinks that this is one of the baby and he, he eats the baby or eats the rock and this is how he um, becomes very sick and begins to throw up the babies <laughs> and uh, it is said now that Hestia is the first one coming out again and thus she becomes the first of this new group of gods, which is her brother and sisters, uh, that are called the Olympian gods. And the Olympian gods, they are a little bit more of these gods that we know about from Greek mythology. And they are a little bit more made in the human image. Although they have superpowers and are immortal, they also have a lot of human traits. Now... Hestia then is uh, in the, when we look at her through the lens of the modern world, we, uh, and also how she was kind of began to, she began to be defined through the patriarchal lens, which was uh, started thousands of years ago. And she became the goddess of the home and the hearth which is one layer of her and which is one way her essence expresses herself in the world. But as, uh, you know, I'm a student of embodied mythology, I will always bring these stories and gods and goddesses within myself as symbols and representations and intelligent forces, divine forces, that are felt as frequencies within myself and life. 
So Hastia, her name points to the word essence. So she is um, she is the essence of light. She is essence of warmth. She is the essence of nourishment. And when we bring that into our own own bodies, into our own being, we uh, we are guided into a very primordial, very intimate, and yet very universal and cosmic aspect of ourselves. She is the eternal light within. She is the one feeding and warming and nourishing all we are and all we do. It is said that she is the one of the Olympian gods that did not go out into the world, into the dramas, into the wars, into the love affairs. She stayed at the center. She stayed home. And what is that aspect of ourselves that always stays home and tend to the fire, the flame at the center? She is the one who carried the keys to all of the resources and reservoirs, all the clothes, the food, that the gods would then come home again and retrieve and and gather before they would go out again. She was the one tending the hearth that created food and nourishment for them. What is that aspect in ourselves? that are always lit, always alive, always here, but does not get entangled in the drama. The place we arise out of, that nourishes us, that creates us, and it is the light that we dissolve back into, we move, become home, and we get warm and replenished by it. Another symbol associated with Hestia is the circle. It is said that she did not engage in relationships, in romantic relationships like the other gods and goddesses. She is said to be whole in herself. So she symbolizes the circle that is whole in itself. And it is In my experience as a student also of the woman's circle, I have this experience of the circle being an alive intelligence. And that is for me not a metaphor or a poetic, uh, something poetic I'm saying. It's, It's very real in the way that I practice and teach. I draw upon the wisdom of the circle which guides me and informs me in my work and in my practice. 
and the circle has been it's, 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 it takes different forms at different times right now here in Greece the circle is these women coming and going but the circle remains and the circle has been here since the beginning of time we have always gathered to explore and uh, devote ourselves to the sacred and each time we have gathered we offer our devotion we offer the fruits of our practice our insights our, our obstacles <laughs> all of it into the circle so when we take our seat in the circle today we don't start from scratch we get to drink from this well of wisdom and of transformation and of healing and likewise when we practice in the circle we offer in our insights our obstacles our dedication for the future generations who will also find their seat and, and gather in circle and get a drink from this well and this is hastia hastia frequency this is the the well at the center the wisdom that is guarded throughout times yeah, in this context in the goddess path there is a, a flame that has been passed on from heart to heart generation to generations and that i you know little me from bergen norway with zero uh, context of goddess around me when i grew up could find this flame i could feel it within me from a very early age it it was rising from that primordial circle that timeless circle and it it wants to rise it wants to to emerge through anyone who's willing to open and listen to to follow the ache of longing yeah, to stay with the longing instead of numbing or or leaving it in the chase to to get something to you know to get something from the outside and instead kind of hover within the longing itself and then we discover that there is a flame that has been guarded by wisdom keepers since the beginning of time and we know that this flame has survived very dark times and many would argue that we live in such dark times right now where more and more people forget the sacred and and yet there are wisdom keepers like you and i who are hearing the call are willing to listen to the call are willing to stay in the unknown and not knowing how to guard it how to do it and then to let the flame inform us and guide us so for me the circle is a teacher is a guide is a guru a spirit guide and anyone who is willing to open and listen to it will uh, be able to draw upon its wisdom but it ha it happens within the context of a relationship and this is an important aspect in 
in our relationship to circle and also relationship to our spirituality at all. But oftentimes we come to our spiritual practice with a almost like a demand, like now I'm doing this and now I'm going to get this result. <laughs> and then if you don't get the instant result, we move on to the next practice or the next teaching or the next method, the latest popular thing. We jump from one thing to the next. There are different aspects of that. I, I see that, you know, this kind of renaissance spirituality that we see today, it has something, it has a wisdom in it too. There is a shaking off of this um, religious dogmas that we have been suppressed by for so long that tells us that we need to have a middleman in order to access the divine. And I, I think that many are guided by a kind of a, a sanity, a sense of like, no, wait a minute, I want to, you know, I want to explore this for myself. But, you know, this jumping from one thing to the next is also, it's a frequency in our consumer culture that now easily can take on spiritual clothes. And it, you know, we think it's, it's a different thing, but it's actually the same thing, which is just in disguise. And um, we cheat ourselves from the benefit of long-term relationship. There is something that can only open. There's a wisdom that can only open over time. Trust is not something that is instant. And trust is essential in our path. You know, the more we, we hear and feel the guidance from Goddess for real, the more we begin to trust it and the more we live by it and the more we trust it, the more it, we have access to it. And this is how it goes. And it's the same with the circle. That um, a relationship to the circle, the wisdom of the circle is available to all of us. But we have to come with a certain um, respect, a certain kind of receptivity, uh, humbleness, and a willingness to give something into the circle. And then we enter relationship, which is a flow of give and take. And then we enter this flow that we discover is not draining us. It's not that we're going to lose anything. We are offering into the circle and we gain more and more and more and more. For me, it didn't come easy to me to, to trust the women, women's circle. I had some wounding in my relationship to other women. I was bullied by some girls and I had some... Uh, you know, complex relationship with my mother for many years. And all of this influence became like a filter in the way I related to other women. So when I came to the circle, it was not an instant trust, but the guidance that I accessed there told me that the relationship I have to the outer woman is a direct reflection of the relationship I have to the divine feminine within me. So if I have a relationship of, of competition, of mistrust, of 
you know, gossiping, talking negatively behind each other's back, all of this influence also my own root connection to Goddess. And another guidance that became very clear very quickly for me in practicing in, in circle was that to heal my relationship to the outer woman was to heal the relationship, my root relationship to Goddess. So the longer I stayed, I practiced through the layers that would arise in my meeting with other women, with the circle, breathing, staying instead of escaping into stories and dramas and reasons why I have to do it myself. And like all of that was brought into practice instead and with that I mean is that you know one of the basic practices that we we follow is that we move our attention from the mental narrative about our experience back into the body where the where the experience is happening and it can be felt as a sensation in the body, an emotional charge, uh, we are tapping into where the energy is, where energy is moving. And this is not to say that the mental stories are not important, but we don't, we don't start there because that is where we can easily entangle ourselves into this disembodied sense of self, which kind of create its own problems and then we get busy fixing those problems and then we get closer, we go in loops like that and we can do that for the rest of our lives and in our practice we 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 move from the mental commentary about my feeling into the where the feeling is happening in the body and that's not the end of the story because once we enter the flow of energy like feelings as energy we are entering into intimacy with goddess herself because she is energy she is the source energy that takes a myriad of different forms also as our physical sensations feelings even thoughts <laughs> but it's more challenging to start with thoughts we go back into the body and from there we may have images and insights and thoughts but it arises from a deeper place this is why, how I would then practice with the layers of mistrust that would come up in surrendering to a field as my practice ground. Yeah, there's also, there are layers like, oh, I'm going to lose myself. I have to follow someone else or I have to follow, I'm going to, I have to hold on to my, my sovereign self. And the paradox is that in my experience, that kind of holding on is actually more of a holding on to a separate self. And it hinders the kind of the thirst of our soul to be quenched. Because the, our deeper self knows union. The source source 
the hearth, the eternal flame within us, the goddess herself, wants our freedom. And she knows, just like we were speaking about in a previous episode about secure and avoidant attachment styles, is that the freedom that is pushing away our belonging in the great web of life can never really be free. And in my experience, it was through surrender, and still is, it's an ongoing practice, it's through surrender to the circle and to the field that I retrieved my belonging, my primordial belonging. And out of that belonging, I can rise in sovereignty. Out of that belonging, I rise as unique in surrender. I found my sovereignty. In surrender, I found my power, which is kind of the opposite of what we think. We think we have to kind of fight for our power. Like, I have to be unique. I have to be, uh, I can't, you know, surrender to a field or someone else or a community because that feels dangerous for us. And that is the symptoms of the avoidant attachment wound. Because when we allow ourselves to actually surrender the separate identity, only then we, we fall into alignment with the unique thread, yeah, the unique thread of you in the universal web of life. And the unique thread of you becomes so colorful and brilliant because you are home in yourself and in your place in the world. You are not existing as a separate island in your head. (laughs) So it can be a paradox, this. In my experience, surrender initiated me to a power and freedom I didn't even know was on the menu. So we can engage in circle in this way. And Hestia, she is the wisdom at the center that we all get to, to be warmed. We, we, it warms us, it nourishes us, it guides our path and it ignites within us, it enlightens us. <laughs> Hestia, beautiful Hestia, always, always, always at home. She never leaves, no matter how, the, how fascinating the dramas become. She knows her assignment. There's a clarity that she mirrors to us, that we have within us as well. It's just that we have been trained to look elsewhere for it, oh, I'm going to find my clarity out there, or I'm going to find, if I just learn more, if I just get another spiritual method, or if I, if I uh, just, uh, you know, gather, read more books, I'm going to get that clarity. 
But of course, in our goddess path, we are again and again and again guided to turn inwards to relax the, all that, the, that activity. All our practice, all our practices are designed to unclench the body, to unclench the momentum of grasping, the momentum of resisting, which can keep us so busy so that the light from within us can begin to trickle through and warm us. bring in another uh, story that also illustrates this uh, light within us and it is a story from the Norse mythology from from where I come from in northern Europe I'm from Norway and uh, this uh, story is about a goddess her name is Gunvag and it means the golden brew the golden nectar, the golden elixir, the radiant elixir of life. And it is said that she is standing in the hall of the Asir gods. She's a Vanir goddess. The Vanir are the nature gods. So they are the nature elements, the, the magical arts, the alchemy, the very goddess-centered a god groups group of gods and goddesses and the asir gods they are more uh, representing the sky gods they are more in we can bring it all the way into the human context that they are you know they are gods of the intellect the vanas are gods of the body and nature and we see that the gods the vanir gods and asir gods they are fighting against each other they are at war so again, we can bring this into embodied mythology where the head and our intellect and our rational uh, part of our brain wants to conquer and control the, our nature yeah, and the body and see, see it all as a problem. Now in this part of the story, Gunvag is standing in the hall of the Asir gods. It's, it's, it, it seems like she's captured by them. And the Asir gods, they try to burn her. And they burn her. And she burns down to ashes and then she emerges again. And the Asir gods are shocked. And they burn her again. And she burns to the ashes and she rises again. And three times they try. And the last time she rises, she rises as pure light, radiance. Her name now is called Haider, which means just the pure radiance. And this is where when the Asir gods surrenders, they, they are in awe of witnessing the immortal light embodied. That which cannot die and either she is 
mirroring to us an aspect of our own being and an aspect of the of the universe there is an essence that are always here even though the different forms come and go and it is said that hydra and now when i say it it's also interesting that hydra and hastia <laughs> are similar sim- similar words I haven't really investigated if it comes from the same roots, but when I speak them, I just notice that. And Haider is said to be the high priestess of the the women walking the goddess wisdom path. Us. (laughs) And she became a teacher of the, the women walking that path. And thus since also Freya is known to be the high priestess and patron of the, the mystical arts and the, the, the deeper divine esoteric wisdom accessible to humans, it's not hard to draw the conclusion that Gunnweig and Heider is Freya herself. And we see that later in stories where we see Freya also at the center with, uh, with the light at the center. And this is stories from Norse mythology that I will explore here in this podcast for sure, <laughs> because this is a theme uh, that, that is, we can follow like breadcrumbs through all of the Norse mythology where we see the goddess as the keeper of the light at the center, as the drink at the center, the golden brew. She's the one who pours the nourishment that which cannot die, the elixir of life itself. So feeling into Hestia and Haider and bringing it all the way into our own lives, we can ask ourselves, what is the light within us that never dies? If you feel into challenges that you have been through in your life, Maybe there were challenges where you really didn't think you could survive, that you felt broken. And yet here you are, breathing, living. What is it that carries us through? What is it that shines bright no matter how dark it gets? I remember I was working as a therapist for for teenagers that came from very hard family backgrounds many of them had been in foster homes and orphans since they were born and they came to us oftentimes with drug problems mental health problems and they stayed with us on the farm oftentimes for many years and I remember one time there was a boy coming and he had since he was born only experienced betrayal like he was born addicted to heroin this little baby Uh, he was placed in in orphanage he was placed in foster homes he was abused in horrendous way and already as 11 years old he was uh, addicted to drugs himself prostituting himself just uh, a child and he came to us when he was 14. And I remember we used to call him the miracle boy 
because this boy, he woke up in the morning wanting to live. Yeah, he wanted to play football. He wanted to fall in love. He wanted to have pancakes for dinner. He, he wanted to live. He, what is it that within him, there was like no, nothing he had experienced supported him to live up till then. But nevertheless, within him was the light that cannot die. Even though, you know, our physical body, of course, will die one day. But for me, meeting this boy was such a, like, undeniable affirmation and embodiment of that light. And we see it, you know, also in, in just tiny seeds. Just the, the courage, you know, that a little sprout presses itself out of the seed when it's time and work itself, grows itself up through the dark, not knowing anything where it's going, into the unknown, pressing itself through this very heavy mass, you know, sometimes even through asphalt we see, yeah? Because it wants the light. It, it, it wants to live. It wants the sun. It wants to become the sprout wants to become itself. That life force energy, that mystery is within you too and within me. And when we move about in our lives, when we want to create something, we start a project, we start a relationship, we step out into a bigger version of ourselves, uh, out into an unknown aspect of ourselves, we are guided, we are made of the same momentum, like that evolutionary momentum that wants to become and even when the momentum, like following the, the plant, even when the springtime and the full bloom of summer is over, it surrenders to the fall. And even in death and rottening and composting, that life force, that light within that never dies is guiding that process too. And it is in this full surrender to the unbashed expression of spring and summer and to the rottening and the death and the terror of falling from the mother tree, you know, if you're a leaf. <laughs> it's a full surrender we see all around us to this cycle and even into the inertness and the stagnation and the frozenness of the winter. And in full surrender to that cycle, to every phase in the cycle, all of nature is radiating from that source light surrendering into the movement of form 
initiates us into the essence vibrating deeper than form that which lives through it all that which is immortal through the life death life death cycle and when we want to create something we want to start a project when we want when we step into this the invitation and the guidance from these goddesses and the myths is to stay close to the intimacy and it's a vulnerability needed here in order for us to to be open to stay open so that that light can flow through us and guide us that light that never dies but it is vulnerable to be this close to life itself isn't it we buckle up and we think that now I have to do it right I have to do the project myself I have to figure out the relationship I have to solve the problem and we become more and more opaque and more and more uprooted and we think that this is the way to be strong or this is the way to get things done and it's kind of the opposite than what we see all around us the surrender that we see in nature and remember we are made of the same stuff we are nature (laughs) and uh, it is a yeah, we are invited into an intimacy, which is, of course is vulnerable. You know, in our practice, we expand our capacity for vulnerability because we know that this is the only way our power can shine through. We practice secure attachment to body and earth because it's the only way we can know freedom. Yeah, it's... Uh, unclenching (laughs) unclenching of all the activities that lead us away from the source within us remember Hestia she has the keys to all the resources all the food the clothes everything she has the keys so the invitation is to stay close to her so I want to leave you with a little contemplation think about times in your life when you went through really hard times and just ask yourself maybe you want to journal or go for a walk or just contemplate what carried me through and this question is not really meant to uh, to guide us to a right answer It's one of those questions that opens doors inside. What carried me through? And see where the question leads you. Maybe there is someone waiting who has been waiting at home for a very long time for you to return, to remember her.
thank you for listening to Living Goddess. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with a friend and follow, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.